Well, friends, uh, today we come to the fourth and final sermon in a series entitled Living for the Sake of Others. This has been a short series, but an opportunity for us to remember the call to love others as Christ has loved us. It's, uh, it, we're doing this uh, not randomly, uh, but very intentionally at this time, because traditionally St. Andrews has been a church that has been very engaged in loving and serving others. Um, when I first came to St. Andrews, however many years ago that was, uh, just visiting, uh, you know, checking it out, one of the first things that impressed me, and one of the things that hooked me, honestly, was I saw that this was a community uh, that proclaimed the gospel and lived it too, where people served other people. And I was actually kind of amazed by what seemed like the very high percentage of people in the community uh, who were involved in one way or another with serving others. Uh, and so I've always been a really, really thankful for that spirit of service at St. Andrews. But over the last few years, you know, COVID really changed so many things. And so many of the places that we have served closed or or we had limited access to them, schools, prisons, and everything in between. Uh, And and so uh, for people who are new to the church, if you've come over the last two or three years, you maybe haven't seen a, a lot of that service, a lot of that spirit of service. And if you've been here for a long time, we may just be out of the habit and so during these four weeks, we've wanted to, uh, to hold up and refresh um, the, this, the story of our call to serve. And so we've been uh, talking about week to week some of our biggest partners and, and service areas. Uh, we've talked about um, a few. Uh, this week was really special because uh, Growing in Grace, our recovery ministry that, uh, that used to be such a big part of the church, met for the first time this, Wednesday, uh, this last Wednesday after years of not happening. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I wish you all could have been there. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was good. Thankful to everyone who helped made it happen. Uh, we had a great turnout. And it was just a series of testimonies of people telling the stories of how God changed their life through this ministry. And so it was just as clear as it could be that God had used this person and that person to transform the life of this person and that person, and it just made you want to do that kind of work. It made you want to serve. Well, we continue in that, I guess the sermon aspect of this is an opportunity for us to cast some vision for how and why we should serve, right? There are a lot of reasons we might serve others. Uh, We might do it out of a sense of guilt or duty, but there are bigger and more beautiful reasons than that for us to serve, And so as I look at my own life and the life of those around me, I mean, I think we could all confess honestly uh, that as as we sang and prayed a minute ago, that we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, right? I mean, that's the truth for all of us on one level or another. And so... It's not because we don't know (laughs) that God has called us to serve. It's not news to any of us that that we are called to serve as we have been served. That's not new information, but it's still really hard. So the question is, what's in the way? What makes it so hard for us to live for the sake of others? Well, again, when I look at my own life, the thing that comes to the top, when I look at other people and I hear them talking about this, what I usually hear them sharing is some version of the same story. And it's that when it, whenever somebody puts out a call to serve, a call to go out and live for the sake of others, the, the thing that rises up inside is the sense that I can't do that. How can I help others when I barely have enough for me? When I have barely enough time? When I have barely enough energy? Maybe barely enough money? 
And it just feels like if I share any of that, there will not be enough left. So it's, it's, it's not safe. I can't risk it. Or maybe it feels like I don't have enough knowledge or enough skill, and I'm just going to be in over my head. What can I do? Who am I to make a difference? I'd like to help. I know I'm supposed to, but the truth is my resources are just too small. Not right now. And of course, again, that sense is only increased when we look around at the world's problems and they seem so big, so overwhelming, it just feels like we could be swallowed by them. So what do we do with this feeling, this sense, this story that lives inside of us that we don't have enough to help? Well, the Christian answer to this is very simple. (laughs) It's very simple. It's that God does. Maybe I don't have enough, but God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, all space and time. He's the creator of everything that exists. It's all his. So in him, there's always enough. Maybe you need to hear that. Maybe you need to hear today that in Jesus, there is always enough. There's no lack. But you know, again, I think if we're honest, the belief that God doesn't have enough is usually not what's in our way. We get hung up at the point of trusting him uh, to take care of us. When we hear this call to go and live for the sake of others, we start to become suspicious. Just like Adam and Eve. See, when they took the fruit, they did it for one of two reasons, and it was probably a little bit of both. They had come to to believe that God either did not understand what they needed, or that he didn't care what they needed. Either he didn't get it, or he didn't want what they needed. So they had to take things into their own hands because if he really understood, if he really wanted what was best for them, he would have given them this anyway, right? We believe similar things. When God tells us to live for others, we're like, God, I don't think you understand. If you really knew what was going on with me, you would know that that is not what's good for me. Or maybe you don't want what's good for me. Maybe you're like a bad boss who's prepared to wring every ounce of usefulness out of me to get everything you can out of me if I don't set up these really big boundaries. I've got to protect myself from you. If I go where you want me to go, you'll use me up and burn me out. We may feel like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son who begins to think uh, that his father is concerned about the lost one, but that those 99 sheep still in the fold had better just get to work, right? When we hear live for the sake of others, we begin to suspect those things. I name those things because they're lies. <laughs> they're lies from the enemy. It's a, this is a lie that Satan told to Adam and Eve. It's a lie that, that the older brother is speaking. And it's a lie that we believe that God is after us to take something from us. But it's not true. We haven't been rescued by God to be used. We have been rescued for God's love. Both to receive it and to give it. But these things are not separate. They work together. You see, friends, the good news, the truth is that Jesus has saved the world. He is saving the world. He will save the world. You don't have to. You don't have to save the world. Jesus is saving the world. But because you are his beloved child, he wants to take you with him. Because he loves you, he wants you to join him where he is and to be a part of what he's doing. He wants, to, he wants you to participate in his life and work. This word participation has become really important to me. It, it defines for me uh, what it looks like to be called into service. Not a thing that I'm going to do for God, 
but a thing that God is inviting me to do with him. I am invited to participate in his life and work. So this call to live for the sake of the others, it's, it's, it's not a requirement that God puts on us, <clears throat> uh, some, some measure that he won't give us his love if we don't live up to. The call to live for the sake of others is a gift. It's an invitation into his very life and presence. See, as God's kids, we are meant, we are destined to rule and reign with him forever. But that's not a life that we're meant to, that's totally disconnected from this one, that we're going to get in on after we're dead only. It's meant to start today. We are intended to begin to live in his presence, to be with him doing what he's doing now. Participation has been the nature of God's relationship to his people all the way through salvation history. You can open almost any page of scripture and see it. Uh, an example that I like to use, though, is, I mean, think about Moses, right? Like, could Moses part the Red Sea? No, Moses can't part the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. But how does God part the Red Sea? He says, Moses, lift your hand and your staff. That's, why would God do that? That's wild, right? Or the whole book of Acts. Like, the church is doing these incredible things, but it's not the church doing it. It's God doing it. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit But how does he choose to bring salvation into the world? Through ordinary people, just like us, just like you, just like me. Why would God work this way? Well, there's an analogy I like to use that I think helps me understand it. Maybe it's the season of life that I've been in. And I've shared it in other contexts, but I want to keep sharing it because I hope that it helps shape the culture at St. Andrews, the culture of serving. And, And it goes like this. Imagine a parent in the kitchen cooking dinner. And there's a three and a four-year-old running around, and the parent says, hey, kids, I want you to come help me cook dinner. Why would the parent do that? <laughs> would the parent say, hey, kids, come and help me cook because, you know, they noticed they were kind of short on time and they really needed some extra hands to get things done quick and well? Absolutely not. <laughs> Does it matter that the kids have no idea how to make dinner? No, the parent's going to see that the food gets made. So what's the value? Why include the kids in making dinner? Is there any point in it? Is it just an exercise in futility to make a bigger mess? No. Of course there's value in it. The parent invites the kids into the kitchen because the parent loves the kids. Because the parent wants to spend time with the kids. And more than that, wants the kids to spend time with them doing what they're doing. Because the parent knows that if the kid is with them, the children are with them, that they will learn things they would not have learned otherwise. They'll grow, they'll mature And the parent also knows that this meal is for the kids. And the kids are going to enjoy it in an entirely different way, having had a hand in making it. Now, I don't invite my kids into doing things like this as much as I'd like to. I'm often in a hurry, and I don't want to mess. But God always invites us in. He always invites us to come and be a part of what he's doing. Even though we don't know what we're doing, and even though we often make a mess of it, he always invites us to come in. So this invitation to participate in what God's doing means that you don't have to carry the weight of the world. It's not on you to save the world. Jesus is going to save the world. But he wants you to be there with him doing this work. Because that's where he is. Where is he? Well, he's, he's, he's after that lost sheep. That's where he's at. That's what he's doing and if you want to know him, if you want to really have an intimate relationship with him, you've got to go where he is and do what he's doing. You've got to participate in his life. So part of what I'm pointing to, friends, is the truth that God is actually at work. He's not asleep. He's not far away. He is on the move. They may not talk about it on the news, but it's true. 
He is on the move in our world. And if we have the eyes to see it, we will see that he is transforming lives and breaking in all over the place. And he's saying, come and join me. He invites you to love others because he loves you, not because he's trying to use you up. I mean, honestly, that's what I'm doing up here this morning, right? I don't think that I can change your life by saying some words with my own wisdom, but I'm up here trusting that God's word and that his spirit among us can do incredible things with our ordinary offerings. That's how he works. He invites us to participate in what he's doing. So friends, if you have this feeling that you cannot live for the sake of others because you just don't have enough time, you don't have enough energy, you don't have enough money or wisdom, God's not trying to take any of that away from you. He's inviting you into his own love and life. You can trust him. You can trust him. Okay. We're going to turn a corner here now. So if you say, okay, this whole participation thing sounds pretty good. Maybe I could imagine going in the kitchen and helping make dinner. Maybe I can get on board with that, but, but where do I begin? Like, how do I know how to start? That's a good question. Uh, Jeremiah 29.7 is a simple answer to that question. It says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Again, this is simple but really helpful to us because we live in strange times. For most of human history, you would have really only known about the problems and, and, and traumas of the people that you had an actual relationship with, right? That's, that's the world you knew. But today, we live in a world where we are fed a constant stream of information about global-level problems, one right after the next. Many of them we have no agency in, some we have a little bit of agency in, but our eyes are constantly on these enormous, super-complex problems. No wonder we feel overwhelmed and frozen. Meanwhile, we don't know the names of the people who live two houses over. No wonder we feel like it's too much. No wonder we feel like we can't do anything. Our eyes are on these giant things where we have no agency, not where we live. But Jesus says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. When you start to think about, okay, Lord, where are you at work? How do I participate in what you're doing? How do I join you? Well, the place to start is where you are in the place that God has placed you. He put you there. In this place where you have agency, where you have connections, where your life actually connects and touches other lives. How is God at work in those places, and how is he inviting you to show up, to be his hands and feet there? Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not wrong to go beyond where you are. It's beautiful if he calls you to go to another land or to build a giant organization. But if you're looking for a place to start... Trusting that God put you where you are on purpose and that he wants to use you there is always the right place to start. And the truth is, getting to those bigger things almost always starts with the small things. If I'm faithful with the little things that God's put right in front of me, it's going to take me somewhere. But if I ignore those things, I don't know how I'm ever going to get to doing something that's bigger or more systemic than that. So I'm trying to paint a picture of the truth that we have been not commanded to save the world in our own power and carry this impossible weight, but that Jesus is saving the world and he's inviting us to join him in what he's doing, to be where he is, to do what he does. He's going to see it through and he's inviting us to start right where we are with the people that we're with, with the situations that we're actually living in, trusting that he's already there at work, just, op- just asking him to open our eyes to see it so that we can say yes to. I think this is good news. I think it's helpful but we can't stop there. 
Because Jeremiah doesn't stop there. See, Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Not just seek the city, the welfare of the city where I've sent you, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Now, it would not be surprising if God had said, Okay, you're living in Jerusalem and in the cities surrounding. Bless those cities. Well, of course they should do that. But he's, this, this message is going to Israel through Jeremiah while they are in captivity in Babylon. They have been carried away. Their nation has been destroyed. The temple's been raised. And Jesus, God is saying through Jeremiah to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. To seek the welfare of Babylon of all places. That's shocking. Like we can't feel how shocking that is because we haven't been carried into exile. But it's shocking. And it raises a third challenge. So he said, sometimes it's hard for us to live for the sake of others because we don't believe we have enough to give because we believe the problems are too large. But here's a third reason. Because sometimes we believe that the other is our enemy. And to be honest, we don't want their good. We want their judgment. We want their destruction. These days, we live in a world where there are so many invitations, so many powerful invitations to build your entire identity around what you are against and who you are against. It's so easy uh, to live desiring the destruction and fall of others. And so we may find that when we look to the other, when we look to that lost sheep in particular, uh, that we don't even want their good. Or we may find ourselves in a more nuanced place living with this tension that we're not sure how to get past between the call to be holy and the call to love others. Feeling like serving others that, are, that disagree with us, others that we feel are enemies, well, that feels like a compromise. I'm sure it would have felt that way to Israel living in Babylon. But it's not a compromise. Not when we understand who we are in Christ. You see, Israel was called to bless Babylon, not to become Babylon. Being set apart was central to the way that they would bless that place. To be faithful to God, to truly be his people, was necessary for them to be a blessing in that land. Daniel is like a person who who totally personifies the situation, right? You remember, he's put in charge, because of God's blessings in his life, over Babylon and later Persia, he's got all this power, all this influence, But he's a blessing and a challenge in those kingdoms. And he's a blessing and a challenge for the same reasons. Because he's faithful to God and uncompromising in his faithfulness. Jesus, of course, gives us an even stronger picture of this. Jesus, of course, is perfectly faithful to the Father. But he's present to sinners at the same time. There is no compromise in Jesus at all as he goes and loves the prostitutes and the tax collectors Uh, People who are traitors to God's people in many ways. His holiness, his set-apartness, the way that God's presence was in him was what they needed. It wasn't opposed to his loving them. It was a key way that he was loving them by showing them who God really was. And though some rejected, there were others who saw and understood and were drawn near. These days, as, as culture changes... You may feel more and more like you're in exile, but that's not bad news. It's always been true. 
Here we learn how to live in exile, how to be in the world but not of it, to belong to Jesus in uncompromising ways and to love those we disagree with the most at the same time. This is how the world knows who our God is. It's what Israel was called to do, to be a blessing to all nations. They were set apart, not against the nations, but for the sake of the world. And so we are called to live for the sake of others. Let us not define ourselves by who we are against, which is almost always an attempt at self-justification at someone else's expense. Instead, let us define ourselves by who and what we are for, for Jesus sharing his love, his love for us, and because of his love for us, for others. Let us live aware of how much we have been forgiven that we might be able to forgive. And out of that deep humility... Let us see that those who disagree with the most, that those who we disagree with the most that we're tempted to call enemies are many times the ones that we have been called to love. So friends, let's sum this up. We have been invited to live for the sake of others. It makes us suspicious. It makes us feel like something is at risk in our lives. But this isn't a test that God is putting us to. It's an invitation to be with him, to love what he loves, to be where he is. And he's out seeking that lost sheep. He invites us to do that beginning right where we are. At home, in the place where we already live, in the relationships that we already have. And we can trust him that he means our good in this So in just a minute, we're going to come, as we always do, to the altar. We're going to come to the rail, and we're going to do what we always do. We're going to come submitting some things to Christ and receiving things from Christ. The invitation today, Jesus is like that parent in the kitchen saying to the kids, come in here. doesn't matter that you don't know what you're doing. doesn't matter that it's more complicated with you involved. I want you to participate in my work, and my work is loving and transforming and healing the world, living for the sake of others, where he's placed you. So the question as we come to the rail is, what's in the way? Whatever that is, whatever God shows you, that's what we want to submit to him. That's what we want to come and offer our Christ. We want to submit our fear, our lack of trust, our our, our sense of being overwhelmed, our frozenness, our contempt for others. We want to submit all that to him. We want to, whatever it is that comes up for you, put that in his hands and in return receive his love. Let his love enter into that place and you receive it as as he gives you his broken body and his blood, which you're always communicating the message, I love you this much. I've given my life for you. Now as I've loved you, share my love with others. That's the invitation, friends. And so it's my prayer that as we come, as we pray, as we receive, that we trust that God will be at work in this, that he will enable us in the days and months and years ahead to be a church that is known for living for the sake of others. Amen? Jesus, we cannot do this of our own power. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us that your word would take deep root in us and that we would be able to miraculously stop believing the enemy's lies 
that you're out to get us and that we would be able to trust you that you are calling us into something beautiful and amazing when you invite us to serve. You are saving the world. It's just going to happen. It's just a question of whether or not we'll be involved. Thank you for inviting us. Give us the courage to say yes. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.